gave his life and his precious blood for us. Thank you for loving us so much to draw us to yourself. In Christ's name, amen. Well, title today is Whose Kingdom Are You With? For a section, welcome to the Parker. Did most of you enjoy a a great meal sometime last weekend for Thanksgiving? I never knew candied yam could taste so good. What did you use to cook it? Oven and some pots? Did anyone use a pressure cooker? Pressure cookers are great inventions. They cut down the cooking time, save energy, and are very useful to get those undesirable lectins out of your veggies. There's even smart pressure cookers out there now. We have one called an Instant Pot. Anybody else got Instant Pots? You know what I'm talking about. It's programmable. You can set it to cook a given food for a certain length of time, and it'll shut down automatically when finished and keep it warm. With our fresh jersey, we found it makes great yogurt. There are other types of pressure cookers, metaphorically speaking, that aren't so nice. In today's reading, we hear about Jesus being put in a pressure cooker. His family comes to take him into care because they think he's out of his mind. The teachers of the law, who at that time were a form of civil authority as well as religious authority, considered him to be an enemy, a threat to society, possessed by the devil. And even the crowds who thronged around Jesus, those to whom he was popular, they pressed in on him so much he didn't even have time to eat. That's just too busy in my books. What kind of pressure cooker, so to speak, is threatening to squeeze you? Are you finding financial constraints tight due to things like high gas and food prices or the cost of certain other supplies like building materials? Are you finding there's just not enough time to do all the things you want to do? Are you at the beck and call of so many others you never have time for yourself? You're you're always running to satisfy others' demands. Do you find other people's expectations are hard to live up to? They want you to be somebody other than who you really are. You're not appreciated for your native giftings. The pandemic, now in approximately month 19, not anybody's counting, brings with it pressures of its own, augmenting the other pressure cooker stresses we may be feeling. We mustn't forget our masks. Will that other person understand or think we're rude if we decline to shake their hand? The debate over whether to vax or not vax divides families, even your closest relatives. And we can't just have a good old potluck like we used to when everyone knows the church marches on its stomach. Statistics Canada did a review of mental health indicators during some months of the pandemic from September to December 2020, which it reported in March of this year. Some of its findings about the pressure cooker effect of coronavirus on the mental health of Canadians are these. One in five Canadians screen positively for symptoms of depression, anxiety, or post-traumatic stress disorder, 21% to be exact. 
young adults aged 18 to 24 were most likely to report symptoms of depression, anxiety, and post-traumatic stress disorder. The prevalence of positive screens for major depressive disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, and probable PTSD were over three times higher among young adults than among older adults. For example, 27% of young adults aged 18 to 24 screened positive for major depressive disorder compared with 7% of adults aged 65 and older. Prevalence of mental disorders was more than four times higher among those who experienced feelings of loneliness or isolation as an impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. Almost 38% of Canadians reported that due to the COVID-19 pandemic, they experienced feelings of loneliness or isolation. Those reporting this impact had more than four times higher prevalence of major depressive disorder generalized anxiety disorder, and probable PTSD compared with those who did not report experiencing this impact. Now that, to me, begs the question, what might Jesus' followers do to help people not feel lonely if it's such a big factor? And more than 40% of Canadians who reported difficulty meeting financial obligations or essential needs due to the COVID-19 pandemic screened positive for one of the three mental disorders. Overall, 15% of respondents reported difficulty meeting financial obligations or essential needs. For example, rent or mortgage payments, utilities and groceries due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And these were significantly more at risk of experiencing depression, anxiety, or probable PTSD. So it seems the pandemic has definitely upped the temperature in the pressure cooker Canadians may find themselves in. Practical concerns like finances and mental health underscore the importance of spiritual health, namely being grounded through faith in God so hope does not waver. Our text today suggests Jesus offers his followers a new champion, a new center, and a new circle. First, a new champion. One of the pressures that sought to cook Jesus' goose came in the form of the religious authorities that had come down from Jerusalem, religious headquarters, as it were. They were not impressed by Jesus' miracles, even his exorcisms, delivering those possessed by unclean spirits. Mark 3.22. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons. He is driving out demons. Beelzebub is a derogatory term akin to Lord of the Flies, meaning Satan, the head of evil forces. Jesus points out the absurdity of their contention, as if the forces of evil were fighting amongst themselves, in which case they would be defeating their own purposes. Note the gradation narrowing from kingdom to house to just one being. He replies in Mark 3, 23 to 26. So Jesus called them and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. 
Russian dissenter Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who spent years in prison in the Gulag for writing a disparaging comment about the Soviet president in a private letter, said, only a small crack, but cracks make caves collapse. And Jesus proceeds to suggest a new champion has appeared on the scene, a champion that should be making Satan shake in his boots, 327. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can rob his house. Whose house is being plundered? Well, Jesus is setting prisoners free, healing them of disease and unclean spirits. So it would seem he's meaning Satan is the strong man whose possessions are being carried off. Christ has apparently first bound or tied up the strong man so that he can bring deliverance to the captives. This is backed up by a couple of other references in the New Testament. Paul writes in Romans 16.20, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Hebrews 2.14 adds, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Do you believe that? Jesus has destroyed the devil by his own death, by sharing in our humanity and carrying out God's plan for our salvation. Hallelujah! Never speak as if Jesus and Satan were somehow on the same plane, as if they were dueling forces of similar strength. Satan is but a fallen angel, a mighty one, granted, but still just a created angelic being. Nevertheless, he allies himself with the fallen tendencies in our world and our own flesh. So temptations to sin can come from any of those three, the world, the flesh, and the devil. But Jesus is champion over them all. Next section, a new center. If Jesus is our new champion, in verses 28 to 29, he points to the new center his followers need to have operating in and ordering their lives. He begins with a very solemn admonishment to pay close attention to what he's about to say, sort of like we'd say today, tweet this. Mark 3:28. I tell you the truth. All the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. Wait a minute. Who brought the Holy Spirit into the conversation? The scribes have been saying Jesus was possessed by Beelzebub, in other words, by an evil spirit. Jesus' statement implies they were in fact blaspheming against the Holy Spirit, which must mean it was the Holy Spirit that was indwelling Jesus. To blaspheme, according to the lexicon, means to speak reproachfully, rail at, revile, calumniate, to be evil spoken of. Today we might include slandered, bad-mouthed, given a bad rap. To speak evil or abusively of someone. The scribes were running down the Holy Spirit, which led and empowered the Savior to do whatever he did, and which prompted him to say the things he said. It's a huge thing when Jesus says, all the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them. Hmm. Murderers? 
scam artists that bilk people out of whole farms and life savings? Yes, Jesus says, forgiveness is possible. The cross and grace can be a scandal, a stumbling block for anyone who's intent on everyone getting their just reward. What then is the one unique sin that's absolutely unforgivable, according to Jesus? To badmouth the Holy Spirit. To reject and despise and write off as inconsequential the one by whom God can bring repentance, regeneration, new birth, and sanctification, new living patterns into our life. If you put up a wall against God, if you reject him and won't listen to the Spirit's prompting to repent, God can't help you. You've already chosen your eternal destiny. Hell will be filled with people whose theme song is, I did it my way. We need a new center in our lives, the Holy Spirit, the same center Jesus had and that allowed him to do such wonders. Get over yourself. Admit you've botched things and need new leadership. Repent and turn to God. Turn your life over to him. Give Jesus control as Lord because he's the one you'll ultimately have to render account to as judge anyway. Jesus once told about our need to have a positive spirit entity inhabiting our lives to give power and direction. The context in Luke 11 is very similar to here in Mark 3, facing conflict and criticism from the religious authorities. Luke 11, 21 to 26. When a strong man fully armed guards his own house, his possessions are safe. When someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up the spoils. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. When an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. And it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that man is worse than the first. Hmm. Who is inhabiting your spiritual house? Have you welcomed Jesus there? Have you welcomed the Holy Spirit, God's presence? It can't be left vacant. Something will come in and possess you unless you keep the Holy Spirit at your spiritual center. Finally, we see Jesus fortifying himself against the pressure cooker by developing a new circle. Families are very formative in early life, whether for good or bad. Sometimes we say, He's just like his old man, or that apple didn't fall far from the tree. Almost unconsciously, we can start mimicking our parents' habits, whether that be workaholism, alcoholism, being overly critical, systems so we don't have to work, always being concerned about appearances and whether our house is clean, needing money in order to be secure, any number of ways we can grow up resembling our parents' patterns. Such generational pressures can draw us down a certain path unless we step back and examine ourselves in the light of God's truth. Jesus' own family must have been concerned how Jesus' behavior would bring shame upon the family reputation. Perhaps if 
others started thinking he was crazy. Mark 3.21. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind, beside himself enough to warrant taking him into their care. Maybe they were even concerned the strain of being so busy and pressured. Even the disciples didn't even have time to eat. Maybe his family felt such pressure would cause him to have a complete breakdown. But we also know from other passages that even Jesus' own brothers didn't believe in him, at least not before the resurrection. But in verse 31, when they arrived to take Jesus into custody, they find another group in the way. And Jesus seems to now view them as his immediate circle. Mark 3, 31 to 35. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus is choosing to leave behind his family of origin who do not understand him, don't appreciate what he's doing and who would prevent him from pursuing God's purposes for his life. He leaves them behind in favor of those who are journeying with him, hanging on his words, absorbing his teaching, willing to leave old ways behind in order to experience this new way of life he's offering. Now we do know that he did, even from the cross, look after his mother Mary and arrange for take her into his care. So it's not like he totally abandoned them or anything. But he, he drew this line of, these are my real sisters, brothers, and mother. You must be born again, he would say to Nicodemus. On other occasions, he challenged would-be followers to let him become priority over family ties. Luke 9, 59-62. He said to another man, follow me. The man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in, in the kingdom of God. Leave the comforts of home and kindred when they don't understand and it gets in the way of you venturing faithfully on God's plan for your life. You need a new circle. Sisters and brothers intent on doing God's will. Make them your new family. The call to discipleship cuts across blood boundaries because the blood of Jesus has bought us for himself. He had promised his disciples in Mark 10, 29, I tell you the truth. Whoops, I don't have this one in. I tell you the truth. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields and with them persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. A hundred times as much. And often those faith connections bind us even closer than normal family affection. People remarked of the early church, how these Christians love one another. It's the new center you share with other believers, prompting you to be pursuing the same agenda 
doing God's will. Your values are similar. Your hopes are similar. You share a common outlook and hope. There's a certain resonance and passion for God's priorities uniting this new circle of which you're now a part. That is, as long as we can keep our eyes off ourselves and our own preferences and stay focused on Jesus, what he's doing in the world, what God wants us to be pursuing together. Last section, a hasty rejection. The scribes made the mistake of rejecting Jesus, figuring he was an agent of the enemy, possessed by the devil. His own family wrote him off as being crazy, beside himself, out of his mind, though Jesus was in fact son of God. When we trust in him, God gives us a new champion, Jesus, a new center, the Holy Spirit, a new circle, the Christian church. There is precious unity and close fellowship with our sisters and brothers in the faith. Let's not risk rejecting someone prematurely like the teachers of the law and Jesus' own brothers, but instead treasure them as fellow recipients of grace and members of this new circle. Born in 1765 in France, James Smithson was the illegitimate son of a prominent English duke and a direct lineal descendant of King Henry VII through his mother. Branded as a bastard, James was refused British citizenship and denied a rich inheritance through his true father. Due to this rejection, the young Smithson felt constrained to succeed at whatever he did, and he became one of England's leading scientists and a member of the Royal Society, the chief association of leading scientists, at the age of 22. In 1829, Smithson, who never married, died and left his considerable fortune to a nephew. Rumor had it that the terms of Smithson's will stipulated that his entire estate was to go to one recipient upon the nephew's death. Well, the English scientific community hoped that he had made sizable grants to their favorite institutions. But when the terms of the will were made public, they were shocked. Smithson had written, Just as England has rejected me, so have I rejected England. During Smithson's lifetime, England had fought two bitter wars with her rebellious colonies in America. So to show his utter contempt for those who had mistreated him, he gave everything to the United States government for the establishment of a scientific institution in the young nation's capital. To this day, the Smithsonian Institution is recognized as one of the most prominent institutions of its kind in the world. England made the tremendous mistake of thinking that she had no need to this man. She might have benefited greatly. Let us be careful of saying to some member of the body of Christ, I have no need of you only to find that the same member could have met some of our greatest spiritual needs. Jesus viewed his followers as being as close to him as his own mother and brothers. Can we treat each other that way? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for Jesus' truthfulness and strength standing up to these pressure cooker stresses from the religious establishment and even from his own family. Thank you for your Holy Spirit leading us to repentance and being born again from above. We bless you that all kinds of sins and blasphemies can be forgiven. 
how much you know we needed that. How precious Jesus' sacrifice that has made that possible. Lord God, increase our love for you, our new center. Help us acknowledge every moment our new champion, Jesus. And help us appreciate and draw closer to this fellowship, this new circle, the church. We need each other so much. Lead us into... 